0: everyone, welcome to From Nor to Nothing, Oxological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Today, we're going to take a look at some key principles of rational thinking, as laid out by philosopher Dr. Julian Beghini, the co-founder of the Philosophers Magazine, academic director of the Royal Institute of Philosophy, and honorary research fellow at Kent University. Join us as we take a deep dive into the top five elements he considers important, and as we discuss them from our own perspective, perhaps consider your own as well.
1: That's nice. That's a a good... It feels Part of the reason I sent that article this week is because it felt like a touch base. It's like we swim and we swim and we swim, or we sail and we sail. Choose your metaphor. But once in a while you just stop. It's not like treading water, but Let's look at the terrain. Let's what we're, what are, what are the things that we're doing that, that we're trying to do, uh, and have been, uh, and really it felt like a lot of what he talks about. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny.
0: Um, you know, again, it's, the, it's kind of the metaphorical, um, journey, right? We're, with the podcast, we're always moving forward from thing to thing. And, um, sometimes it's just good to, Stop for a minute and kind of take stock of your surroundings. Um, I like doing that. Me and my friends get together. We play um, D D every few weeks on Friday, right? So he lives just around the corner, and I always walk to his house. And yesterday was raining, um, and I still walked because there's something about the walk. You know, it takes 30 seconds to drive there, but it's you know a seven minute walk where you notice things that you didn't notice before mm-hmm. and you see mm-hmm. some things and you even run into people that, you know, live on your street that you don't know that stop you and talk to you. I got stopped twice and talked to you about different things. My, my e-bike that a guy thought was real cool. And a kid that, you know, was just asking me how my day went and stuff. And so it's a totally different experience. Um, yes. So yeah, let's take a look this. The five principles we're looking at are five of 12. Um, I have not read his book. I'm assuming you probably haven't either. Uh, actually,
1: I, I, uh, I the, the newest one that just came out in May, um, How to Think Like a Philosopher, I started that this week because I felt enormously behind because I, I read the Philosopher's Magazine <laughs> occasionally when I can get my hands on it. Uh, but somehow I didn't associate him – I was unaware mostly of of his work, which is not being attentive. Uh, (laughs) But now I'm being attentive. Now I'm reading his work. And and the book, this book, he's written like 20 books, but this book makes me want to go back and read the one that he did just before the pandemic. Yeah, same here. Um, You know, it it was funny reading
0: through the five principles that he had laid out in the article. um, It was just all things that right off the bat connected with what we're doing on the show. And, um, right away I went on to the, our local library app and searched and they only had one book of his, but I borrowed it and I've been listening through the audio book because I've mm. been redoing my floors and stuff. So yeah, it's good. It inspires some new thinking. Um, and he has some lovely, um,
1: audio, um, uh, podcast or, or pieces of podcasts that plugged into his website too, that I've begun with. I haven't got all through
0: yeah, them of them yet. Yeah, exactly. So, um and this is one of the principles we'll talk about later, but you know, it's good. Something that is good for inspiring philosophical thinking is examining the work of other philosophers. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So we'll be looking at that in a minute, but why should people want to think philosophically?
1: Well, I think what he's saying, and and really he says it better than I do, but I, I, it certainly coheres gels with my long-term approach uh, is to to answer it is to say that one wants to think well. And to think well doesn't mean some of the tropish or mimic kinds of things that people often associate with people are thinking. You know, that's Ancient trope of, of a person thinking so hard, looking at the stars that he falls into a pit. Mm. Uh, People said that about Einstein too. Oh, well, look at them. They got, they can't even keep paying attention to what's around them. And he's saying, well, no, it's not about not paying attention to what's around you. It's about learning to pay more attention. So there's a kind of, there's a kind of yogic uh, uh, feel to it for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting that um, you know, philosophy as we talk about on the show pretty consistently is um the uh, sort of the art of and and science of of thinking in a, a systematized rational way. Um, but it is kind of spoken of disparagingly in a lot of ways. Um, you know, is either um, being a waste of time or um
1: just kind of pointless you, yeah. you know this and 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 part of he picks up on that and he and he's and he says you know the unfortunate thing is that you can never stop being attentive it's necessary to think philosophically in in the sense that one must always renew one's attentiveness and that's true f- collectively mm-hmm. if, because if we were attentive we wouldn't we wouldn't be backtracking to be, to be for the civil rights movement if we were attentive. We wouldn't be uh, trying to make people not citizens or not not people at all or those kind of things. We've we've learned this, haven't we? Uh, but somehow enough people bubble up because they go, oh, "No, we haven't learned that because we shouldn't learn that," and and so then one must keep talking and poking and thinking uh,
0: yeah and he offers a really a lot of really good examples in, in each bullet point that he he brings up yes. so um probably the way I'll I'll look at it is I'll read um his um you know each principle and then I'll I'll ask it as a how question right yeah so, i
1: i think that's good because i both of us are going to do exactly what he talks about which which is what we do anyway which is to say all right Let's think on our feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, his first
0: principle, right, is good thinking is mainly about paying attention. And we've yeah. talked about that a lot so far, you know, early on. Yeah. So, good thinking is mainly about paying attention. How is good thinking mainly about paying attention? And this is an interesting question in light of what we've spoken about in recent weeks because, um, you know, I I, pr- I provided the example the other week of being in a meeting and not paying attention to what was going on around me um, and we talked about how you know you can paying attention or being absent minded like there's different different ways uh, that this can be impactful so yeah. how is paying attention um, a cornerstone of, of
1: good thinking if and when we pay attention I want to put this on the table and you can tear it apart or build on it we are seeing things, side note, we're talking phenomenologically, we're just going to make some assumptions about this. Okay? So <clears throat> we are attempting to see things with fresh eyes. We are attempting to see things as they are. And, and that means developing a, a humility, maybe laced with humor, to self-salvationalize yourself, like like we did this one, we am to just start right up. With just before we started recording, there there are trees along the street, and I've seen these nice little trees along the street where Joel lives. And and when I parked my car, I was taking a little extra time parking it to get close enough to the curb, and I and I noticed these kind of bags on the trees, and I said to myself have I been coming here for years and missed this? They, they don't think that those were there, but I can't be sure of that. And so I asked Joel, and and he said he had the same thing, and he asked his wife, and, and in fact, those bags had been put in because of uh, addressing some water issues. The, the trees are getting dry. But that was a moment of attentiveness uh, of a kind that I feel like I have. My My granddaughter has... Retaught me attentiveness. I have these moments, so many now, when, when I'll just be, if I'm pushing her on the swing, I'm watching what goes on. I'm seeing how she moves. I'm listening to the, the little dialogue she, uh, monologue she carries on with herself. Then I'm suddenly invited into it again. And because she mentions she hears this or asks, what's that? Or however it, it comes about, I'm realizing that I'm paying a lot more attention to the surroundings. And just saying, well, I live here. I've walked around here forever, you know. And so, how is you're asking how we do it? So,
0: how is good thinking mainly about paying attention? Right? Uh, you, um,
1: the the operative principle is that if you don't pay attention and you don't have at hand the uh, some touch base with what you're discussing whether it's a tree on the street or or conceptually if it's all abstract you're really not thinking about the down to earth and of course philosophy is very much about down to earth not just being up in the abstract conceptions and, and so, because if you're not paying attention then you're not necessarily seeing things the way other people might see them so it requires you just to well, look at something well is that really red we've had that kind of discussion before or Oh, okay. So maybe somebody's having trouble with this street, and there's a good reason they're having trouble with it because the, the curbs are broken or whatever it happens to be. And you might just assume that things are worse than they are or better than they are. But when you look at them, you take them as they are, and you say, "Yeah, probably some work ought to be done on this." Mm.
0: Yeah, it's it is an interesting um, it's it's an interesting interplay because in to my mind, and and thinking about this psychologically right you you made this point a little bit earlier on we're always paying attention to something Mm -hmm. so it's not as if um if you if you are to say to somebody you're not paying attention what you're really saying is that you're not paying attention to this thing yes right so attention is always there right so how is paying attention related to good thinking I think that it's not so much about the act of paying attention if attention is always present. But I think what it is, is it's the critical reflection and metacognition that is the link between attention and thinking. So um, he makes he talks about attention hijackers. Yes he, doesn't, yes. he doesn't really talk about them, but he just makes he allusion mentioned. to them. Mm-hmm. So in the allusion to attention hijackers, in my mind, that would be um, things related. To technology, for instance, right? Um, if I open up my phone and I see a blue bubble or a red bubble on one of my apps, I have to click on it. Even though, even if I open my phone to do, <laughs> if I open my phone to do something constructive, right? Oh, I want to listen to the audio book in, in my libraries app, or if I need to um, make a list of something to do. I'm going to do something productive with my attention. Mm-hmm. But I open my phone, I see the red bubble, my attention is hijacked. And now the attention is being given to something that does not um, result in reflective metacognitive functioning. So I think that it, what we're really saying, if, if paying attention is related to good thinking, it's not that exactly, but it's what we are paying attention to. Because it's going yeah. to be a hi- hierarchical thing, right? Um, yeah. There are constantly things. And we know this by looking at, at the human brain. Um, your senses are taking in so much information that if you were to be attentive to all of it, you would be completely overwhelmed and catatonic. So as a result, you're taking in all the information and your brain is deciding what you should pay attention to. And so I think the good thinking is choosing the correct thing to pay attention to that results in critical metacognitive Processes.
1: That, I, I think you've. <laughs> I think you've nailed it. This and is what we. This is what we get taught in teacher training. We've got a classroom of thirty people, or twenty-eight, or however many it happens to be, <clears throat> and you can't notice everything all the time. But you you want to be aware enough of when somebody might have a question, and very seldom does. Somebody raise a hand or uh, sometimes people would say, I have a question, but mostly uh, the eyes, the eyebrows furrow, uh, people twist their head as if something they've just bumped into something. You, you, and, and one needs, and one doesn't do it perfectly, but one needs to pay attention to the kinesthetics, the, 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 the nonverbal communication yeah. that is going on in a classroom. And not just the cluster of the five people who are being paying most attention to you, but but in in the outer rim, as they would say in Star <laughs> Wars, right? And uh, you have to be keep constantly scanning.
0: Yeah, and I remember you doing that in classes a lot um, with me and with everybody, but especially with somebody like me who is is kind of introverted, right? I, I wouldn't want to raise my hand very often, but every once in a while, you just call on me. You would see a look on my face, you go, you look like you're thinking about something. Yeah. What are you thinking? And then I'd go have to go, Oh, I didn't really want to say this in front of the whole class, but here it is. Hmm. And lots of times that led to good discourse. Yeah, among absolutely. The class, right? yeah. So yeah, that, that is a very good tool. Something I'd like to point out real quick is that, so that we are performing philosophy in the moment right now, right? Because we're not just reading off what Julian Bagini wrote, right? No, no. we've—I've already critiqued what he said by saying I don't think good thinking is mainly about paying attention. I think attention is a given, but the relationship between attention and good thinking is critical or metacognitive processes. So, and this is going to yeah. tie into a later principle that he brings in about um, thinking.
1: So this, this is important, why not right?
0: because you're supposed to be poking back and questioning. right. It, and you know and this is something that he highlights is that um, good thinking isn't about conformity right. I, in the intro, I read off all his credentials. Yeah. I'm just some guy in my bedroom studio. You know <laughs> I'm not, I am not a, a formal philosopher. Um, but you can not be a formal philosopher and still be somebody who can and think rationally. And pick something apart, and that doesn't need to be an aggressive or confrontational thing. I don't think that um, you know that the principle necessarily is wrong, but that it's simplified in a way that gets a point across that's pertinent. And he covers this as well in a future principle. So we'll tie it all together as as we go along. But there's a lot of important things happening that I'm excited about. So um, the second principle that he has. Is breadth breadth is depth. So how is breadth of thinking also depth of thinking?
1: We've used this word a number of times, um, eclecticism. To be eclectic is to uh, to be interested in a variety of things that on the surface don't necessarily seem to have immediate connections. All right, so that, that we could say that that's breadth. And just side note, this is why he's so very active, beginning so very active in, in champion, championing the humanities. I'm a humanities teacher, was, will always be, even if I'm not. Located on a particular ship. But. But. uh, The humanities. Require. An eclecticism, not in some kind of fascistic way, but just you, you can't help it because somebody's writing something in a novel. They refer to a m- piece of music. You want to hear that piece of music. You've probably never heard it before. And you say to yourself, I really haven't. I'll be honest with myself. I haven't heard that music before. You listen to the music and then you find out about the composer who was influenced by an artist who, and, 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 you, and you, and when you go through that path, which might seem like wandering hmm. and it can be. Uh, not all who wander are lost, says Gandalf. When you go through that path, you realize that you are going deeper into the arts or what language is, how the writer said this, or when the writer alluded to a, a philosophical concept. Was that an accurate illusion? What does that illusion actually uh, say to oneself? So in, in, in his book, uh, the, the most recent book, uh, Every chapter begins, every essay begins with an epigraph uh, from Dostoevsky, Hmm. and he says at the beginning of the book, I've put these here, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but I've put these here so that you will consider why they might be here. And I, I, you know, this is the same kind of thing I would say to students. But don't, don't skip over the epigraphs. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that there's a quotation or a partial quotation sitting there. That that's a clue. It's not an X marks the treasure spot. It's just giving you something to cross reference with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's where the the depth comes in. If you start considering a number of things, uh, even if you're driving along. You're thinking about the condition of the highway. You're thinking about well, maybe the grocery store. You're thinking about mundane things. But you also might be thinking deeper things. You might be wandering into music and thinking about that while you're driving at the same time. And maybe the music you're listening to is making you think really hard about putting a little more space between you and the next car. I'm trying to keep this at the, at the ground level because it's enormously important to go into breadth and depth of thinking for a field that you are in for a practice that you do, for your craft, whatever it happens to be. But it's also enormously engaging to make you a more awake person walking through the world day to day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and he he has some interesting examples of that. You know, he talks about how, um, you know, it, it's, it's a false dichotomy, right, to say that, oh, well, specialization or, or depth of thinking um, provides you more knowledge about a topic. Because you can flip the axes, essentially, mm-hmm. right? If, mm-hmm. if you're looking at one thing, um, he's not, he's not negating specialization. He's, he's saying that there is a, a, a benefit to both approaches, right? If you, if you take the approach of, of looking at a singular thing very deeply, you may know more about that thing than somebody else. But the problem is that thing is in isolation whereas if you go with breadth of something you may not know as much about the specifics of the thing but you can see all of the connections that the thing has to the world and therefore you know you have a depth of knowledge about how the thing is in the world even if you don't know the specifics of it this is something that is um very prevalent in the field that i'm um currently um studying right because there's this um convergence of uh neuroscience and psychology, right? And so lots of people like to say, well, um, that, that there's significant overlap or they're very much the same thing. But when you start to see how they're done in practice, you realize that this is sort of a a perfect example of a depth and breadth thing. <sighs> Neuro, you know neuroscientists look at, at the brain <clears throat> and generally they'll have a good knowledge of the whole brain, but really at, at the highest levels they're specializing in, in one part. Sometimes they're looking at tissue samples of one nerve, right Yeah so yeah. extremely specialized you know examining how this thing operates, what its components are. Down to you know the subcellular level, whereas a psychologist, um, which I'm studying to be, also will take neuroscience classes. will have a working knowledge of all of the different cells that make up um, the brain, even the brain's immune system. Um, you know things that a lay person would consider to be a, a depth of knowledge about the brain. But at the highest levels is really a cursory overview. But the psychologist isn't concerned with what a singular nerve does or what a singular mm-hmm. section of the brain does. What the psychologist is concerned with is how all of those sections of the brain combine in order to create a behavior, a thought, or s- something that, that represents
1: human functioning right? yeah and and built into this and as you, you just described this so well built into this though from a philosophical viewpoint two things one philosophy as we've said time and again is the source of all these other things mm-hmm. <clears throat> he makes a point in his book that uh, uh, the most recent book that that I but he also it, it comes up here in this uh, article that you can Psychologists, as you say, have a certain uh, jargon or uh, and a certain conceptual basis, and, and and have data to work with, and archaeologists have artifacts to work with, and so on. All the different fields. Philosophy has the curiosity <laughs> to try to see how all of those things function together, uh, and and thus it's it's it's. It's just deeply important.
0: Yeah, and i it's funny. I've been, um, like I said, I've been doing my floor. So I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks from the library. And um, one of the ones I was listening to was a, was a book by Stephen Hawking. Hmm. And, um, you know, just a, a fantastic scientist. But he said something that, that uh, made me go, hmm, in one of them, which was, you know, up, up until uh, Newton – philosophers and you know were able to contribute to science because you were able to understand it but but after newton and then heading especially after relativity and and the quantum age um, philosophers were no longer and philosophers and lay people were no longer able to even conceptualize what was happening in science and therefore could not contribute in a meaningful way to um, sort of philosophical scientific concepts. And mm-hmm. I thought,
1: hmm,
0: you know, that yeah. <laughs> but then at the same time, in, in the intro of the book, he said, um, you know, that the, the purpose of the book was to provide lay people with understanding of science without using equations, which has been his life work and something he takes a lot of pleasure in. So there's almost this contradictory element to it. And, I, and I've noticed that throughout his books is that it's this sort of mixture of um, humility and humor, but also maybe a bit of a blind spot to um the the bigger picture, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of an example of why philosophy and why breadth of thinking is is important, right? Because without it, you can you you ha- we all have blind spots, right? Mm-hmm. But if you specialize to a point, yeah. yeah, if you specialize to the point where you have tunnel vision on something, um, you may you may be able to see that thing very well. But then, what is happening in the picture outside of of that is is a little bit blurred, right? And I think that's that's kind of a good example of it. Um, and and also breadth of thinking, like you said, just using personal anecdotes, right? Every time I do something new it enriches my entire experience of life, right? And I'm sure that everybody has experienced this in some way. I was doing my floors, right? Never did floors before. And, uh, you know, on, on some level, you assume, well, this isn't rocket science. It's going to be pretty easy, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, even even professionals who do it will tell you, oh, well, it's, it's easy. It's just hard on your body or whatever. You get into it and you quickly realize... It's, it's not easy. You know, there's a lot of things you have to pay attention to. There's a lot of tricks that you can employ. You have to do a lot of little things the right way. And now that I'm done, I'm walking through everybody's houses, and I'm looking at their floors, looking at their baseboards, looking at all of their different things. Same thing with buying a house, right? You drive by these houses, and you don't think much of them. But when you're looking for a house, or after you bought a house, now you're looking at them, and you're imagining what they're like inside, or you're looking at their foundations from the outside and going, oh, well, maybe all of these things that tie in. That's the important of breadth of thought. That's the important of of being eclectic and and having a wide variety of enriching experiences is that the more you do that, the more you're able to envision um, both on a conceptual and concrete level how things operate, but also see how they tie into everything else that
1: you've done you know so at one of the same at one and the same time simultaneously it, it 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 engages your humility saying yeah the other people have done this they really do do a, put a lot of work into this but also gee but i can have a conversation with them mm-hmm. i can appreciate the artistry of the floor but i can also appreciate the mathematics yeah that are going into it which doesn't mean you're presenting yourself as a master floor craftsman. I think this is, and, and this sort of relates to the, f- the previous one that we were talking about, uh, the, the, and it's back to the illusion of explanatory depth. People so very much want to be right that if they if they say anything, they want it to be said with a firmness that doesn't offer exploration or conversation. It becomes a declaration. And we, we we know, most of us know this rationally, that that just isn't the case. You start somewhere, you fall on, your, <laughs> fall on your knees, you fall your trip. You say, oh, yeah, but this is a thought, and this thought's worth pursuing. Well, why is it worth pursuing? And on we go. But that requires conversation. It doesn't require flag planting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's... It, goes back to that that maxim right that the the more you learn the less you know because mm. each thing that you learn no matter how simple it is you realize that it's much more complex than you thought it was and each time you have that experience it makes you more and more wary right or aware of the the fact that everything in the world is complex and difficult to grasp and that everything is interrelated in a way that makes it makes it tricky. Yep. So the next principle he has is that language can both help <laughs> and hinder us, right? So how can language both help
1: and hinder us? Well, he, he refers to Wittgenstein, who, we, who I love talking about sometimes. Philosophical problems arise when language goes on holiday. Okay, well, <laughs> language goes on holiday when people say, just let language run on uh, cruise control, so to speak, and not really think about what they're saying. But, but there's, the, the, I laugh with this one because it takes me back to a very specific incidence where we think we're communicating something. We might think that, and then we realize the blank looks. At <laughs> so once, once upon a time, my, my father and my brother and I were <coughs> helping move things out of my brother's house and at the time. And, and we were tr- trying to get this sofa moved, and my son was helping me too. So we had <laughs> one, two, three generations of people. And, and my dad didn't lose it, but he just got a little stern. And he's trying to get us place where he wanted us. And he said, just get side by each. And we stopped. What do you mean side by each? We're all itching. What? And then, of course, we're getting itchy So how dare you say side by each? We don't know what that means. How can you not know what that means? He says. And, 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 and it's referring to how plow horses were arranged to, to plow a field, which he was involved in as a kid. Okay. They're putting, they're put side by side. He meant side by side, but he said side by each. Just took us apart. Then we started laughing and we got goofy and, And so language went on holiday in a good way because it it suddenly became playful, and it made us have a conversation about his life, and 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 it it was it was fine. But there are so many times when we just get we just think somebody ought to know what we're saying. We've just said the words, haven't we? And and that that goes back to the previous one too. Dovetails very nicely because we can be using uh, very accurately a a vocabulary that's uh, appropriate to our field, profession, or craft. And at some point realize somebody else doesn't know what we're talking about. Mm. And then we have the opportunity either to say, and I don't care that you don't know, you should, and so I'm better than you. Or <laughs> let's talk about what this means, and therefore you can be included, and maybe you bring fresh thoughts into this. How might we best be side by each and carrying this? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah.
0: No, um, I, I've got a short anecdote about that as well once when I was a teenager um me and my my best friend decided being dumb teenage boys that we were going to chase a tornado right and so we were a town over and uh you know just in a, a terrible rainstorm chasing this tornado and he's driving and I'm giving him directions and we're coming up to an intersection and he says am I turning left and I said right to mean affirmative <laughs> And he said, right? And I said, no, left. And he slammed on the brakes and he slid through this rain-slicked intersection just as we just missed a semi. And he brought the car to the stop on the other side. And we're both breathing all heavy. he looks at me and goes, from now on, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we continued on. Right? So, yes, language is very important. And I remember a few episodes back bringing this up. Um, this is very important. Again, as you get to the higher levels of scientific fields, um, I, I can't remember what it was that I was talking about, but inside, even within the field of psychology, there's different, um, different researchers will define the same term different ways. I wish I could remember what episode it was because I think we were talking a whole episode about, um, about this specific topic.
1: We, we were, and I'm trying to access it. Now, <laughs>
0: but anyways, the point is is that you know, at, at the highest levels, this in, informs what the results of a study can be, whether or not they're successful or unsuccessful, or, or what the meaning of the findings are, is highly predicated on how the terms are defined. Mm-hmm. And some bad researchers will... Define terms in order to get their results to say something that they want, even though the term may not match up with what colloquially is understood to be meant by the term. Mm -hmm. And that's where language is very important. Um not only there, but also um Julian Begini gives a good example of it where he says, um, you know, if language is uncontested, then there's no room for good thought, right? If if somebody says, well, this means this, and that's all there is to it, um, then that's really a, a, a pitfall for for rational thinking because there can be no discussion. And if there can be no discussion, then there can be no progress made in in defining Th- this it. This
1: is exactly, which is why the words tentative and why the word provisional are so important. It, it's When you're having... A, a creative discussion, whether it's implied or you actually say it, and we've done it both ways here. Uh, we offer a definition. Well, let's start with this definition, or let's look at this word and say, okay, so tentatively I can describe it as such. Or here's a provisional definition. All that means is we know what's going to alter, mm. it's going to shape. Essentially what we've done is taken a, a tube of Play-Doh. <laughs> cracked open the cover taken a good whiff of that so well I'm sorry you don't do that said, <laughs> and and throw it on the table and 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 said what's it going to be I'm gonna make a dinosaur <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and and I've been in this position so I'm making the dinosaur and someone who's much younger than I says what's that well I just said it's a dinosaur no <laughs> <laughs> dinosaurs have to have okay <clears throat> But that's a very physical and visceral and playful example of how we work with words. Mm. And as you said, and as he says, if if we're not willing to examine the etymology of the word, the history, where did it come from? Which, which then brings up questions, well, why did it change? How did it change? How do we mean that word now? Rather than just saying, we're talking about war. Well, that's not sufficient. What kind of war are we talking about? What do we mean by the word war? Yeah, and then somebody can be really snarky and say, "Oh, you don't even know what a war is." Well, well uh, sure, but there are plentiful definitions and levels and types, and and some are metaphorical, like the war on drugs. And I think he, he mentions that one. Uh, or, or it's not really a war. Uh, we we talk about terrorism. We have a war on terrorism. Is terrorism war? Or are there, are there two different things? And, and on and on and on we go. And we don't do that to be flipped and glib and waste time. We do that in order to be more accurate in what we think we want to deal with and how we want to deal with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, that's, that's an example that he uses is war. And he goes, you know, the importance of, of being able to understand what the terms mean is that, like you said, it, is a war on drugs really a war? Or are you miscategorizing it in, tor- in order to weaponize emotion, right? If you are calling a war a special military operation, as is going on in our current time, halfway across the world, right? Are you doing exactly the opposite? Trying to strip the emotional or, um, ugly aspects out of the word war in order to present it as something that is less threatening and therefore, less worthy of attention mm-hmm. for the rest of the world, right? So you, yep. you can operate in a certain fashion that um, is is counter to global etiquette. Right? Yep, yep. And so, yes, that's where um, people get frustrated with philosophy, right? And I'm sure that people get frustrated with the show, right? Because this is what we do on a weekly basis: is we pick one word and we spend an hour talking about that word, and at the end. We still don't ever know what we're talking about, right? Because what we discover is that we start out with a provisional assessment, and at the end, we've made progress, but the word is still
1: provisional we've right? made epistemological process uh, progress yes we have it but one of the things she says that i, I, I it's just delightful it says any philosophy that can fit in a nutshell belongs there <laughs> 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 so,
0: um, okay yeah yeah so as we get into these last two i think that some of the stuff will, will be tied together we've I think we've been a little handcuffed talking so far. We've, ha- we've had the one hand tied behind our back because these last two really tie together in a big way a lot of the things we've been talking about. but So the last one is think for yourself, not by yourself. So how can we do that? How can we think for ourselves, but not by ourselves?
1: <sighs> Thinking, well, for or by for implies a, uh, an advocacy, a self-advocacy, a self-development of, of a purposive expansion of one's perceptions, a purposive, purposeful ex- exploration, of thinking by oneself, and the word by can lead us to a number of places, but thinking by oneself is focused on the isolation not the not the purposiveness or the intentionality
0: yeah yeah i think that this this very conversation is um can provide a good example right if i was thinking by myself and somebody asked me come up with the five key principles for rational thinking it probably wouldn't be the same five that Julian Bagini has thought of, right? It might be close, but it wouldn't be the same. Hmm. And there's a very good chance that not being an academic philosopher, it would be inferior. Right? <laughs> so so it's good not to think it's good not to think by yourself, right? Because there's as like much as we talked about in the second principle, there is a strength in breadth of thought
1: not just depth of thought, right? You have so, both hands behind your back when you're thinking by yourself, right? But you're just talking about us having one hand behind your back and the other thing. Well, if we were by, it, because then we are left to not looking at anything else but what's in our heads. Yeah, and, and there's physical demonstrations
0: of this as well, right? For instance, if you if you put somebody, if you drop somebody in the middle of the ocean, and you tell them to swim in a straight line what you will find is everybody will end up swimming in a circle. If there's no landmarks, they just swim in a circle because one side of your body is stronger than the other one and you don't have an internal compass like a bird or you know a fish. So you start swimming and you think you're going straight, but you don't know where straight is, so you head around. So you need landmarks. You need other things in your environment that provide you with something that engages your attention, right? and provides you with breadth of thought in order to ground yourself and provide a landmark that's the danger of of thinking by yourself is that i think any small error in thinking or in judgment or in misinterpretation or a blind spot things that we all have right becomes compounded and it has exponential effects the further you take the thought so, if you start out, you might make a very simple error in thinking, but if there's nobody there to bounce that off of, nobody there to, to, to help you correct that course, the chances of you self-correcting are very low. You're just going to continue yeah. building off of a false principle or a false preconception, and then it's going to lead you farther and farther astray of the the truth of the situation.
1: This. <sighs> Uh, There's a a down-to-earth example of of this, uh, and I like the swimming analogy. (sighs) Sometimes in our recent history, people have – one of the first things they'll ask somebody or challenge somebody with in an aggressive way is, well, where did you get that information and 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 sometimes there's a loyalty to one source of information and what can happen with that is it puts every it's it's the magnetic <laughs> everyone is polarized to that source of information whereas when you start reading a variety or listening to whatever a variety of sources of information which means not people that are saying all the same things because you want them to but looking for things, then it gets more complicated. And when ideas get more complicated, then people aren't all on the same page about it. This is the history of political parties. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you've got one source of information, you can look really united. If you've got a variety of sources of information, which is making you think in a, a very a complicated ways, then you're not going to appear very united. Right. Um, doesn't mean you're not it doesn't mean the ideas aren't important it's just it's 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 this this by yourselfness um so i i like that he uh, among other things he's he says you you do not be loyal to an idea don't be, be, be loyal to a friend and 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 challenge things but you don't have to challenge them with brass knuckles on ready to just mm-hmm. deck somebody so well i just i've challenged this and and here's, and if somebody tells why, why are you telling me? Well, that's just, I, I. Why are you afraid? Or, well, why do you want this to be the case? Or, how come that person isn't equal with you? Or, you know, not a, not a yelling and shouting match.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Um, one of the examples he uses he uses business as an example, right? He goes, in order to to have a successful operation right you want to you want to have you want to bring in opinions from people working in independent departments you want to bring outside consultants and you want to listen to people who have different opinions of yours and you want to consider them without acquiescing to groupthink mm-hmm. you know so you, you, you again don't defer you don't automatically defer right when you're listening right but you also like you said approaching it without without aggression is is important as well i i had to do this this week in my job um i had a, a half day so i left early one day when i came back the next day i just i found that um my boss had made a decision that i completely didn't agree with while i was gone right and so at first my hackles were raised a little <laughs> bit um but then i, I went to our office and i said you know what i was i wasn't here so i don't have all the information right so I went in and I I, I prefaced the conversation. Before I even started, I said, "Um, you know, I don't want you to take this as as confrontational. I said, but I hear you had somebody doing this while I was gone. Um, What are the reasons that you had that going on? And she gave me the reasons and I said, oh, okay. Um, I understand that in most situations, that would be the right thing to do. But I think there are, circumstances in this particular one that should lead us to do this other thing and she said oh that's a very good point you have expertise in this area but you weren't around so we did what we thought was best but now that you've brought up that that makes a lot more sense and I said well actually there's things that you brought up that I didn't know about that make sense so we're gonna have to look into this a little bit further and we actually have to draw on this guy from another department and he's gonna have to look into you know, an outside company. And then once he gets the answer back, it'll give us some insight in who, whose decision will be better. And we did that and we, we came uh, to
1: the, the right choice. That is the process. The breadth thing, the breadth as well as depth that he was talking about earlier. Right.
0: Yeah. Cause I had special expertise in the area that they didn't have access to, which helped clarify the picture. But even with the picture clarified, we still had to include somebody from outside the situation in order to know exactly what to do. Mm. Um and this again goes into um some evolutionary um psychology stuff that they've found out the myth of the alpha male, right? We've talked about that a couple yes, times yes. where um the biggest, strongest, most aggressive male um generally isn't the leader in a lot of groups. If you look at primate groups, you know, groups that we have evolutionary roots in, most times it's the most social um, animal that actually leads the group. So whoever can control their emotions and not get aggressive not get confrontational but include all of the members and secure the you know the safety and the propagation of the entire group tends to be the ones that people look to 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 succeed so so yeah that's you know and i think going back to one thing that you said about you know people saying where did you hear that we see that a lot nowadays um there's a subsection of the population that likes to that likes to call other people sheeple or, you know, tell people to think for themselves. But a, a very easy rebuttal to these people is, is exactly what you said, which is, well, where did you get your information? Did you bother checking anywhere but this one point? Are you thinking for yourself or are you just regurgitating the thing right. that you heard from this one source? Uh, yeah. My wife had sort of a jarring experience with with this, with me one time where um, I was I was walking on the treadmill doing some exercises for um, a mountain climbing exercise, and she came in. And I was listening to a podcast, and it was um, from a a political perspective that it was diametrically opposed to what I endorse. And she goes, "What are you listening to? Why are you listening to this?" And I said, "It's good to listen to people who have the opposite opinion of yours." Yes. I said because in some cases you will find flaws in your own stance and in some cases you'll be able to identify weaknesses in their stance and either way is a strength um you know you're not just looking for the weaknesses in their argument you're not just trying to and he talks about this you're not just trying to contrive ways of, of bringing down what they're doing you're but with an open mind, listening to what's being said, and you're examining it with what you know and saying, well, is there a way that these things can be reconciled, right? Is there a way that perhaps both positions are either correct, but looking from a different perspective, or there's a middle ground that can be met, yeah. or is this flat out wrong, or is this right? And I have to adjust what I'm thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very important. And that's, that's not thinking by yourself, right? Well,
1: there's there's a, 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 a horrific and absolutely accurate example of this that, that took place um, the, this week with the Southern Baptist Conference where, where a person who was written on the topic of pastor of a church uh, uh, addressed the whole group of pointing out how the church that he's involved with is 99.99% in in line with what many of the other churches believe, except for the use of one word, which would be women for pastors. And he said, isn't that enough? And he was shouted down by the group, saying, no, 100% or nothing. Hmm. Well, that's the opposite of thinking. That's certainly the opposite of philosophical thinking. It's the opposite of, of what we've just been talking about. And, and it can happen within uh, a group. It doesn't have to be blue and red or anything else. It could happen within red, redder, and reddest, <laughs> as, yeah. as, as an example. Yeah. And, and, and the same damage can be done.
0: Yeah, and that re- that brings us into the last principle, which is character is the secret source of good thinking, right? Mm. So how how is character the secret source for good thinking? And this is really, to me, this is is the the strongest principle that he has, and he brings up so many good points.
1: You while like you talking like this one best, yeah, yeah? And he, he just brings up so many good points while talking about it. Well, he uses the the driving the driver analogy, which I think is a good down to earth thing for many of us, but. essentially what he's saying is being honest about yourself, being able to look at yourself in the mirror, so to speak, uh, and to reflect on why you're doing what you're doing. And uh, being open to, uh, it may not always be right, uh, and could it be better? So it picks up all of the elements of some of these other pieces that he's been. we've been visiting. But I think the driving thing works so well because suppose you're, you're in a position where you're I, – I was in this position this week. I had an appointment that I needed to get uh, my little person to. At the same time, I also had a commitment to a friend to drop something off to them while we were headed in the direction we were. And uh, the appointment was firm. I can't bend the physics of time, except in my imagination, right? And we're driving it. But I'm doing math. I'm realizing I'm only three seconds car lengths behind a car in front of me. If, uh, and I found myself doing this very thing. Say so, okay, how would I be feeling right now if I were looking in the rear view? I wouldn't be thinking too kindly of to the person behind me. I would be saying, doesn't matter what their motivation is. I've got, you know, And and, and I let off on the pedal. And just enough, so it became four seconds, then it became five seconds. And then I'm looking and I'm going, okay, so you're going now 54 miles an hour. Uh, this is a 55-mile-per-hour road. Lots of people go pulling out and zoom, zoom, got to go 60, 65, whatever. And are you going to be that? No. Uh, mathematically, if I drop one mile per hour and I'm only taking an hour to get someplace, I'm going to be uh, less than a mile from where I was supposed to be which means it's probably going to work out just fine. (laughs) Yeah, But that requires a lot of active thinking instead of got to get there, got to get there. So, I I think that's what it's about. Good thinking, back to the thing where you you think by yourself. No, I was not thinking by myself. I was thinking for myself and for the people in my immediate sphere, any one of whom could have been affected by a bad decision that I made.
0: Yeah, yeah. He brings up um, specifically the virtues of thought as, as being sincerity, accuracy, modesty, and openness. Right, mm-hmm. and I think that that's that's important. Right, sincerity that stems back to what I was just talking about. Right, if you are engaged in a conversation with somebody, um, you are not always going to agree one hundred percent with anybody or you talk to or with anything a singular person says. Um and there's, there's a couple ways you can engage in a conversation with somebody like that, right? One of them is to, like I said, be listening to them in a combative, de- you know, debate type of way and thinking, okay, well, they just said this and I perceive a logical inconsistency there. Even if I know it's not, maybe I can just define the words in such a way that it makes them look like they were logically inconsistent. Or maybe I can completely distract them from what they were saying. And attack them in this other way, right? That's insincere, right? You're not you're not sincerely debating ideas. You're not rationally or philosophically thinking about what's being said. You're doing it in, in a gamesmanship sort of way. Trying to win, yeah. Um, accuracy, right? This comes back to what we were talking about with um, defining terms. You know, making sure that what you're talking about is what you're talking about. Modesty, again, right? We start out doing floors saying. Oh it, well, it's not rocket science. I'll be able to do it easy, right? <laughs> well, that it's a humbling experience, and anytime you do anything, um, and it doesn't even have to be something new, right? It can be something you've done your entire life, mm-hmm. and you still come back to it, and you say, "This is, you know, I'll never be able to master this thing," you know, and and it's a humbling experience. It it makes you modest and openness, which I think you know kind of goes hand in hand with this sincerity, which is, you know. You don't just close yourself off at something without hearing it out, right? Because if you do, even if, even if you aren't going to be persuaded by something, right? If you, if you are not open to hearing the argument, then you're not going to have the tools to understand why you're not open to the argument. You're not going to understand the thought process behind why somebody would embrace that argument. So really, any of any lack of the one of those four things shuts down the ability to rationally think about something. Yes,
1: it does. And we're not in it for winning. But the, you and I are not <laughs> for winning. I think many people if they would stand down a bit they would, well look at the, the legal system is not about being accurate. It's about Winning. Now, there are many people who practice within the legal system in court, for instance, who are sincerely trying to get, uh, trying to reach the best result, but the best result for whom? The best result for society or the best result for your own record or the best Mm -hmm. result for your department or, you know, and there's, again, there are all those things that are at odds with each other. In a system based on win and lose. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and he brings up a really interesting one um, talking about precision, right? He says, and this is really interesting to hear coming from a professional philosopher, right? He says you should be precise, but not too precise or too vague, right? And so... I think that I'm I'm guilty of doing that in this podcast, right? And you have to pull me back from it every once in a while where we get get talking about one word for an hour. And by the time we get halfway or three quarters of the way in, I'm so animated and I'm so into it that I just want to ask more and more and more precise questions. And at some point you have to say to me, listen, you – we can't think about it that way, right? It's just, if we think about it that way, it becomes too abstract and then it doesn't connect to anything, right? right. Yeah. Much like studying the vagus nerve by itself, right? Well, why? Why does this neurotransmitter cause it to do this thing? Well, it doesn't matter because it doesn't make any sense if you don't see right. where that neurotransmitter connects to a dendrite of another nerve, yeah, you, right? You
1: you 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 look at the the CD player and you old technology, right? You, well, why is it not working? And you go down to the plug and it's on the wall. <laughs> it's yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. But it's such an interesting machine. Oh, no, we we do this. We we necessarily. How can we not do this when we're so interested in, in ideas themselves? So we just have to keep checking and balancing. That's. Yeah, and so, you know, that's very important for doing philosophy, I
0: think, is finding that balance. You know, mm-hmm. somebody who is not thinking philosophically is going to be, you know, it can, that's a good way of of identifying it because it will present itself in one of those two ways. If you are having a discussion with somebody and they they want to win, they want to make it a zero-sum game, but they're not thinking philosophically, they'll either identify a term too vaguely. Or they will try to pick apart something and be too precise about something, removing any context from it, right? And so, the art, right, and and science of of philosophy and of discussion is trying to epistemically identify the optimal amount of description to bring out the meaning of the topic yes. that you're talking about knowing that it's going to be scaffolded or bridged as we keep going, right it'll be provisional yeah right so yeah it was just it was a really great article that you sent again if anybody wants to look into him it's a uh, julian beggini really interesting um philosopher uh, and until next time keep on